Chapter 6 of Murder in the Gunroom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Murder in the Gunroom by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 6 The Fleming butler, Walters, Rand remember Gladys Fleming having called him, became apologetic upon learning who the visitor was. Forgive me, Colonel Rand, but I'm afraid I must put you to some inconvenience, sir, he said. You see, we have no chauffeur at present, and I don't drive very well myself. Would you object to putting up your own car, sir? The garage is under the house, at the rear. Just follow the driveway around. I'll go through the house and meet you there for the luggage. I'm dreadfully sorry to put you to the trouble, but— Oh, that's all right, Rand comforted him. Just as soon do it myself now, anyhow. I expect to be in and out with the car while I'm here, and I'd better learn the layout of the garage now. You may back in, sir, or drive straight in and back out, the butler told him. One way is about as easy as the other. Rand returned to his car, driving around the house. A row of doors opened out of the basement garage. Walters, who must have gone through the house on the double, was waiting for him. Having what amounted to be a conditioned reflex to park his car so that he could get in and out as fast as possible, he cut over to the right, jockeyed a little, and backed in. There were already two cars in the garage, a big maroon Packard sedan and a sand-colored Packard station wagon, standing side by side. Rand put his Lincoln in on the left of the sedan. "'Bag's in the luggage compartment. It isn't locked,' he told the butler, making sure that the glove compartment where he had placed the Leech and Rigdon revolver was locked. As he got out, the servant went to the rear of the car and took out the Gladstone and the B-4 bag Rand had brought with him. If you don't mind entering the house from the rear, sir, we can go up those steps there and through the rear hall, the butler suggested, almost as though he were making some indecent and criminal proposal. Rand told him to forget the protocol and lead the way. The butler picked up the bags and conducted him up a short flight of concrete steps to a landing and a door opening in a short hall above. An open door from this gave access to a longer hall, stretching to the front of the house and there was a third door closed which probably led to the servant's domain. Rand followed his guide through the open door and into the long hall, which passed under an arch to extend to the front door. There was a door on either side, about midway to the arch under the front stairway. The one on the right was the dining room, Walters explained, and the one on the left was the library. He seemed to be still suffering from the ignominy of admitting a house guest through any but the main portal. Emerging into the front hallway, he put down the bags, took Rand's hat and coat, and laid them on top of the luggage, and then went to an open doorway on the right, standing in it and coughing delicately before announcing that Colonel Rand was here. Gladys Fleming, wearing a pale blue frock, came forward as Rand entered the parlor, her hands extended. The two other women in the big parlor remained motionless. They would be the sisters, Geraldine Varsick and Nelda Dunmore. Rand didn't wonder that they resented Gladys so bitterly. Economic considerations aside, girls seldom enthuse over a stepmother so near their own age, who is so much more beautiful. "'Good afternoon, Colonel Rand,' Gladys said. "'This is Mrs. Varsick,' she indicated a very pale blonde who sat slumped in a deep chair beside a low cocktail table, a highball in her hand. "'And Mrs. Dunmore.' She was the brunette with the full bust and hips, in the short black skirt and the tight white sweater, who was standing by the fireplace. 
Hello. The blonde, Geraldine, smiled shyly at him. She had big blue eyes and delicately tinted rose-petal lips that seemed to be trying not to laugh at some private joke. She wasn't exactly blotto, but she had evidently laid a good foundation for a first-class jag. After all, it was only 2.30 in the afternoon. The other sister, Nelda, didn't say anything. She merely stood and stared at Rand distrustfully. Rand doubted that she ordinarily gave men the hostile eye. The full dark red lips, the lush figure, the way she draped it against the side of the fireplace to catch the ruddy light on her more interesting curves and bulges. There was a bimbo just made to be leered at, and she probably resented it like hell if she weren't. Rand gave them a general good afternoon, then turned to Gladys. I had a good talk with Good yesterday afternoon, he said. I have his authorization to handle all the details. As soon as I get an itemized list, I'll circularize dealers and other possible buyers and ask for offers. Is that all? Nelda demanded angrily of Gladys. Why, Fred's done all that already. Is that correct, Mrs. Fleming? Rand asked for the record. I told you yesterday what's been done, Gladys replied. Fred has talked to one dealer, Arnold Rivers. There has been no inventory of any sort made. Mr. Rivers is offering us ten thousand dollars, Nelda retorted. I don't see why you had to bring this Colonel, what's his name, into it at all. You think he can get us a better offer? If you do, you're crazy. Ten thousand dollars for a collection that ought to sell for five times that in Macy's basement, Geraldine hooted. How much is Rivers slipping Fred on the side? Oh, go back to your bottle, Nelda cried. You're too drunk to know what you're talking about. They tell me Colonel Rand is a detective, too, Geraldine continued. Maybe he can find out why Fred never talked to Stephen Gresham or Carl Gwinnett or anybody else except this Rivers. How much is Fred getting out of Rivers, anyhow? My God, Geraldine, shut up, Nelda howled. Then she decided to take direct notice of Rand's presence. Colonel Rand, I'm sorry to say that in her present condition, my sister doesn't know what she's saying. It's bad enough for my stepmother to bring an outsider into what's obviously a family matter, but when my sister begins making these ridiculous accusations... What's ridiculous about them? Geraldine demanded, dumping another two ounces of whiskey into her glass and freshening it with a siphon. I think Rivers offering ten thousand dollars for the collection and Fred's thinking we'd accepted are the only ridiculous things about it. That's rather what I told Rivers this afternoon, Rand put in. He seemed a bit upset about my being brought into this, too, but he finally admitted that he was willing to pay up to $25,000 for the collection, and if he buys it, that's exactly what it's going to cost him. What? Nelda fairly screamed. Her hands opened and closed spasmodically. She was using a dark red nail tint that made Rand think of blood-dripping talons. Mr. Arnold Rivers told me this afternoon, and I quote, I'm willing to pay up to $25,000 for that collection, unquote, Rand said. And I can tell you now that $25,000 is just what he will pay for it, unless I can find somebody who's willing to pay more, which is not at all improbable. Hooray! Geraldine waved her glass and toasted Rand with it. And twenty-five G ain't hay, brother. Gladys smiled quickly at Rand, then turned to Nelda. Now I hope you see why I thought it was wise to bring in somebody who knows something about old arms, she said. 
Nelda evidently saw. There was apparently nothing stupid about her. And Fred was going to take a miserable ten thousand dollars. The way she said it, ten thousand sounded like a fairly generous headwaiter's tip. Did Rivers actually tell you he'd pay twenty-five? Rand gave, as nearly verbatim as possible, his conversation with the dealer. And he can afford it, too, he finished. He can make a nice profit on the collection at that figure. My God, do you mean the pistols are worth more than that, even? She wanted to know, aghast. Certainly, if you're a dealer with an established business and customers all over the country and want to take five or six years to make your profit, Rand replied. If you aren't and want your money in a hurry, no. That's why I was against turning the collection over to Gwinnett on a commission basis, Gladys said. It would take him five years to get anything sold. Nelda left the fireplace and advanced towards Rand. Colonel, I owe you an apology, she said. I had no idea Father's pistols were worth anywhere near that much. I don't suppose Fred did either, she frowned. Wait till she gets Fred alone, Rand thought. I'd hate to be in his spot. You say you're acting on Humphrey Good's authority? That's right. I'll negotiate the sale, but the money will be paid directly to him, for distribution according to the terms of your father's will. Rand got out Good's letter and handed it to Nelda. She read it carefully. I see. She seemed greatly relieved. She was looking at Rand now as she was accustomed to look at men particularly handsome six-footers who were broad across the shoulders and narrow at the hips and resembled King Charles II. She was probably wondering if Rand was equal to old Rowley in another important respect. I didn't understand. I thought... A dirty look aimed at Gladys explained what she had thought. Then her glance fell on the bottle and siphon on the table beside Geraldine's chair, and she changed the subject by inquiring if Colonel Rand might like a drink. Well, let's go up to the gunroom, Gladys suggested. We can have our drink up there while Colonel Rand's looking at the pistols. Coming with us, Geraldine? Geraldine rose, not too steadily, her glass still in her hand, and took Rand's left arm. Gladys, seeing Nelda moving in on the detective's right, took his other arm. Nelda was barely successful in suppressing a look of murderous anger. The double doorway into the hall was just wide enough for Rand and his two flankers to pass through. Nelda had to fall in a couple of paces rear of center, and wasn't able to come up into line until they were in the hall, upstairs. There's the gun room, Gladys pointed. And that's your room over there. As she spoke, Walters came out of the doorway she had indicated. Your bags are unpacked, sir, he reported. Then he told Rand where he would find his things and where the bath was. There was a brief discussion of drinks. The butler received his instructions and went down the stairway. Rand broke up the feminine formation around him and ushered the ladies ahead of him into the gunroom. It was much as he remembered it from his visit of two years before. There was a desk in one corner, and back of it a short workbench and tool cabinet. There was a long table in the middle of the room, its top covered with green baize, upon which many flat rectangular boxes of hardwood rested, some walnut, some rosewood, some quartered oak. Each would contain a pistol or a pair of pistols with cleaning and loading tools. In the corner, farthest from the desk, he saw the head of the spiral stairway from the library below mentioned by Gladys Fleming. 
There were ashstands and a couple of cocktail tables and a number of chairs and the old maple cobbler's bench on which Lane Fleming had died. The only books in the room were in a small case over the workbench. They were all arms books. Then he looked at the walls. On both ends, and on the long inside wall, the pistols hung, hundreds and hundreds of them. The cream of a lifetime's collecting. Horizontal white-painted boards had been fixed to the walls, about four feet from the floor, and similar boards had been placed five feet above them. Between, narrow vertical strips, as wide as a lath but twice as thick, were set. Rows of pistols were hung, the barrels horizontal on pairs of these strips, with screw hooks at grip and muzzle. There were about a hundred such vertical rows of pistols. Rand was still looking at them when the butler brought in the drinks. When Gladys told the servant that that would be all, he went out rather reluctantly by the spiral stairs to the library. "'Well, what do you think of them, Colonel Rand?' Gladys asked. Rand tasted his whiskey and looked around. "'It's one of the finest collections in the country,' he said. "'I may even be able to find somebody who'll top Rivers' offer. But don't be disappointed if I don't. By the way, did anybody help Mr. Fleming keep this stuff clean?' The room seems dry, but even so, they'd need an occasional wiping off. Oh, Walters was always in here, going over the pistols, Nelda said. He's been in here every day lately. I wonder if you could spare him to help me a little. I'll need somebody who knows his way around here at first. Why, of course, Gladys agreed. He isn't very busy in the mornings or in the afternoons till close to dinner time. Are you going to start work today? I'll have to. I'm going to see Stephen Gresham and his associates this evening, and I'll want to know what I'm talking about. They spent about fifteen minutes over their drinks, talking about the collection. Rand and Gladys did most of the talking in spite of Nelda's best efforts to monopolize the conversation. Geraldine, after a few minutes, retired into her private world and only roused herself when her sister and stepmother were about to leave. When they went out, Gladys promised to send Walters up directly. Rand heard her speaking to him at the foot of the main stairway. End of chapter 6